go to First Timothy. <clears throat> and we're actually, I wrote that down wrong, so it's going to be First Timothy 1, 1 through 11 uh, for this morning. So follow along with me as I read. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, according to the commandment of God our Savior, and of Christ Jesus our hope, to Timothy, my genuine child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father, and Christ Jesus our Lord. As I exhorted you when going to Macedonia, remain on at Ephesus, so that you may command certain ones not to teach a different doctrine, not to pay attention to myths and endless genealogies, which give rise to mere speculation rather than furthering the stewardship from God, which is by faith. But the goal of our command is love from a pure heart and a good conscience and an unhypocritical faith. For some, straying from these things, have turned aside to fruitless discussion, wanting to be teachers of the law, even though they do not understand either what they are saying or the matters about which they make confident assertions. But we know that the law is good, if one uses it lawfully. Knowing this, the law is not made for a righteous person, but for those who are lawless and rebellious, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and godless, for those who kill their fathers or mothers, for murderers, for sexually immoral persons, for homosexuals, for kidnappers, for liars, for perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound teaching. According to the gospel of the glory of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. Father, we thank you this morning that we have this opportunity to go to your word. Lord, just as Paul was entrusted, Timothy was entrusted, we have been entrusted with your word, and it is our desire to be faithful, or not to stray off into fruitless discussions, but Lord, to remain firmly tied to your word as good stewards with a good conscience, carrying it, proclaiming it, just as you have called us to. Uh, so, Father, we pray that you would help us this morning. Lord, encourage us, convict us, and conform us more into your Son. We pray in your name. Amen. All right, if you'll open up your booklets, and we are on Series 4, Unity and Leadership. Bringing unity to a divided leadership on page 58. 58. So, you know, even when I'm not preaching it on Sunday, it just keeps popping back up. So here we are talking about unity again. Um, Can't get away from it. So he begins right here in his little opening paragraph, if you've got your booklet, and he's basically just talking about the church and how God has formed the church, has molded us together. What a great thing that is the fellowship that we have, but also just to understand that Satan fiercely hates the church and desires to work against the church. And one of the ways that he does that is by bringing disunity. Now, if he's going to bring disunity, the best place to bring disunity would be amongst the leaders. If the leaders are not unified, well, then the rest of the church will be not unified because what they're, what's going to happen is they're going to unify around these leaders, and as they are not unified, factions will form. And so we have as a call here at the bottom of the paragraph uh, from the Apostle Paul, 
He writes this, God is faithful through whom you were called into fellowship with His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. This is 1 Corinthians 1.9. Now I exhort you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So th- this is like serious words here. That you all agree and that there be no division among you, but that you may be made complete in the same mind and in the same judgment. So that's quite the charge. That's uh, not easy, um, but it is possible. And it certainly is something that we should be working towards as the Lord brings us together. When he says same mind, uh, you know, I, I, what comes to my mind is Philippians 2.5, where Paul talking about you know, putting off selfish ambition and now looking out not only for your own interest, but for the interest of others. And he says, have this way of thinking in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Have this mind in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And so he's saying we need to have this kind of mind, not looking out for our own interest, but the interest of others, and then working hard to have the same judgment, which is going to come from the Word of God. And so we want to work hard at this, Uh, Because this matters, this is what God desires. We have seen it multiple times as we've been talking about unity in Christ's high priestly prayer. This is what he prayed for. And so we want to walk in the Lord's revealed will in this way. And so we're going to look at a few bases for unity as well as some things that cause division amongst leaders. And really these principles are going to be applicable not just for leadership, but for all Um, people in the church. And so the first thing we're going to look at is the underlying basis for unity. And you can turn over, I've already mentioned it, to Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. The underlying basis for all unity. And of course, it doesn't mention it here, but it's maybe implied that the greatest basis and foundation is, of course, the fact that we all have the one spirit. Uh, this is where our unity is derived from. Underlying basis of unity, Philippians 2, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, fulfill my joy that you think the same way by maintaining the same love, being united in spirit and thinking on one purpose. And so Jerry Rag is saying this is the foundational basis of our unity. The one thing I would like to point out is just how brilliant this verse is. I mean, if, if you are talking to a, a group of men, a group of people who are not unified, they all claim to be Christians, uh, Paul goes about this in, in such a... A marvelous way because essentially what he's saying is he's getting them to agree to certain things hey are you Christians act like it that's basically what he's saying is there any encouragement in Christ uh, have you ever been encouraged by Christ Do you encourage one another because of this do you ever prod one another along and so they're nodding their heads yes and then he says hey do you have any comfort from love and most people think this is probably referring to the father's love Do you have any consolation from that? They're saying yes. Any participation in the Spirit? You guys got that? You have any fellowship with the Spirit of God? They're all saying this. Okay, how about affection for one another? Because 
God has loved you, and now you are called to love one another. Do you have this strong affection for one another? Yes. Sympathy, do you care about one another? Yes. Now he's got them. Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord in one mind. If you have all of these right tools given from God, use them as he calls you to, is essentially what he's saying. And in some ways, he kind of appeals to their pride. It's the pride that's really kind of got them off track. And he's saying, hey, if you've got these things, make it happen. Get together, figure this out, and be unified. Uh, and so I, I think what a great way to bring unity to people and to redirect the mind is basically just draw them back to truth. Do you have these things? Yes. Then what's the implication of these things? Same mind, same judgment. Working together in love, seeking to please the Father. Uh, um, and so uh, this is what he's talking about. Um, he does something similar, speaking of the Trinity here, encouragement in Christ, comfort from love, most likely the Father, participation in the Spirit. Second Corinthians thirteen fourteen says, The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And so most think he's appealing to the Trinity there. And so essentially, has this kind of grace been shown to you? Then show it to others. And so he writes here, Paul starts this treatise for unity with an appeal to grace. To preserve unity, he says, your ministry must be saturated with this grace. So if God has shown you this grace, well then, you need to show others this grace. Somebody's showing grace back there for the coffee. Did, did the spigot get turned left on? I did that one morning where I was pouring the coffee in the top and I forgot to do it and it just poured out. Anyways, it happens. Um, and then I like this little quote he says here. He says, even when unity in leadership is built on solid doctrine, it is bound to falter and ultimately fail if it lacks grace. And so you can have three men, ten men, twenty men, and they all have right doctrine. But if they're not holding that right doctrine with grace, if that right doctrine isn't working in their life, well, then the unity is going to fail. It's going to ultimately fail. He says, division demonstrates selfishness and a lack of graciousness towards one another. I mean, one good thing that disunity does or division does it shows us reminds us we're not perfect and there are still things that need to be worked on it there's there's something not right here i need to get to work not only on my brother who i'm divided with but mainly with my own heart what is it this off and so looking and he says one thing it could be is selfishness and what we need to be careful of is in the midst of a conflict or or a division of some kind often the natural tendency is to turn inward. We just begin to think about our self, our own hurt. And this hurt turns us inward. And so we're not thinking as God has called us to, having this mind of Christ Jesus, not only for our own interests, but for the interests of others. Not thinking like that. We begin to just think about our own interests, which divides us further. Uh, this produces a lack of graciousness, towards one another because this inward turn 
replaces grace with selfish ambition. I want to be right. I don't want to be wronged. And we're just focusing the wrong way, and the whole thing spirals out of control. He says personal pride fosters this ungraciousness towards others. What are some ways that that can manifest itself? Believing your opinions are always right. Yes, I realize we're divided here, but that's because he's wrong. (laughs) That's how we think. And if he would just realize I'm right, then we would be okay. Um, And so this kind of pride manifests itself in believing our opinions, our preferences, our way of thinking is absolutely and always right. Now, you may be right, um, but you're certainly not always right. And so you can open up the possibility that potentially you're wrong and go back to the Scriptures and ask the Lord to search your heart. Another thing this will do, it will keep us from listening to others. There's a refusal to to listen to what the other opinion may be. And again, remember, we're talking about leadership here. And so particularly on this level, we should be able to listen to one another uh, and to open ourselves up uh, to what they have to say. And then he says, pride often plagues young pastors. Um, And I just turned 40, so I'm out of this, all right? (laughs) Um, But I think we could probably broaden that a little bit and say pride um, plagues everyone. And so we've got to be careful um, because when division begins to happen, you can guarantee it. There is pride somewhere. Uh, And so we want to make sure that that's not in our own heart and root that out. And so there's the underlying basis of all unity is having this kind of grace that is given by the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit and manifesting that grace uh, with one another. Having said that, this unity still comes. And so let's look at some of the most common causes of division amongst the saints. Uh, What are some things that would get in there and cause us, who've been unified by the Holy Spirit, to be disunity. Uh, first, he says different personalities, uh, people skills, interpersonal friction. Uh, and so there's just differences. Um, and when this happens, uh, when we begin to disunify or have division with these kind of things, it probably means we're putting a little too much on personalities. Uh, personalities are given by God to help bring unity, to help bring order. We need all of these different personalities and gifts. So we don't want to unify around these personalities. We're unified around Christ. And as we do that, the personalities just become a gift, a joy, uh, something to be enjoyed, something that we need. And so we don't want to put too much on personalities. Uh, We want to see them as a gift from God. Different perspectives, background, family traditions, history, all these kind of things. Individuals will view events and circumstances uh, differently, and especially if communication begins to break down. Okay, There's something that causes disunity. Communication breaks down. Inevitably, we're going to view that one thing differently. And so we're never going to be unified around that, and so we need to keep that in mind. Their responses are conditioned by past experiences. The same information may trigger 
distinctly different images and opinions in the mind. Um, you just think about maybe growing up and your coach playing football, basketball, baseball, whatever it is, and someone may have really benefited by a demanding coach that raised their voice, and the other may be extremely hurt by that coach. And so we can view things differently. We can be affected differently. And we need to keep in mind that the Lord has given us different perspectives. He says it is possible that each of these perspectives has a degree of validity. Uh, and so sometimes things can be a bit more complicated than we like to make it out to be. Uh, this being the case, we need to remain open to listening to the perspectives, to at least listening. James 3.17 says that wisdom is not only pure and peaceable, um, but is open to reason. Well, open to reason means you have to be open to hear and to listen, to reason with someone. Uh, I would say even a, a qualification of, of leadership has to be this idea that you're, you're open to hear uh, and to reason with people. Different purposes, he says, is another. There's just different objectives. Uh, one man has an objective that is different from another, and this can cause disagreement. Different pursuits. Um, this would be someone who's out of step with God. You've got someone who's pursuing Christ wholeheartedly, uh, someone who's still a Christian but begins to pursue after other things. This is inevitably going to cause some kind of division. Or you have someone who's pursuing Christ wholeheartedly. Um, and just to give you a little teaser of the new MacArthur Center podcast, all of a sudden, this person leaves the faith. That's going to obviously cause disunity. Uh, we can't be unified with that person. So a different pursuit will cause this. A different power. Uh, this, again, would be the same kind of thing we just mentioned here, where we've got a Christian and a non-Christian. Someone who's following God, that's the power. Following Satan, that's the power. A kind of pseudo-believer, you're never going to be able to be unified with that person. Now, maybe you can be unified around the kind of cereal you like uh, to eat in the morning, but nothing of any significance will you ever be able to be unified you know, around. And so there's false believers of a different power. Uh, there's also false apostles that Paul mentions, uh, false leaders, savage wolves not sparing the flock. All of these kinds of things are going to cause disunity. If you've got leaders in the church that are teaching the truth, sticking to stick to the truth, and then you've got a false disciple, a false teacher that comes into the truth, essentially what that false teacher is going to try to do is to garner support for his view. And then all of a sudden you've got two different views based upon two different foundations, which is going to cause disunity and division. Uh, and so these are things that we can't be surprised by. It's going to happen. If you go into a church and you expect it to just be zero problems, complete unity the entire time, then you've missed it. Even Christ said these things must happen. It's going to happen. And part of it is good and right. But of course, when it does happen, we need to make sure that that cause is not in our own heart. And so we search our hearts. So then what might be some common wrong approaches 
to conflict among the saints. A group of men, they've been unified, they're walking with one another in unity, there's a close friendship, and all of a sudden that breaks down. Something has happened, something was said, there's a misunderstanding, whatever it may be. Well, what are some wrong approaches? First, he says, is defensiveness. And that is so easy to do. Now, we've got to be extremely careful here. Defensive. We don't want to hear it. Uh, where does a defensive posture come from? Well, often when there is disunity, someone may be worried about sin, they're bringing a sin that they think they see to you, you don't see it, so there's a defensiveness to that. You're not willing to listen. Well, defensiveness, one cause could be a lack of security. You're just not secure in who you are. You're not secure in your position. You're not secure in Christ. And so you're not going to hear it. And you put up walls around you. That's your protection. But your greatest protection are not these walls. It's being in Christ. And so you can hear these kinds of things. You, you can still listen. This posture, he says, seeks to defend self in all others at all costs. So again, we see what's beginning to happen here. We're turning inward. It's all about me. It's all about defending myself. And eventually, you have to realize, this isn't about me. It's about Christ. Yes, defend Christ. But I don't have to defend myself. I shouldn't defend myself. Let others defend me. Let Christ defend me. I seek to defend the truth and to make sure I don't have something in me that's not right. Well, because a heart is deceitful, desperately wicked, perhaps that brother might see something you don't. It's in your best interest to at least listen and consider. It seeks to make sure you come out clean, whatever the cost, even at the expense of biblical solution. So you'll begin to kind of twist things, use verses in order to defend yourself. And of course, you never want to go down that path. Another wrong response, he says, is aggression. This posture primarily tries to find fault rather than to resolve the issue. So we're, we're not talking about aggression where we're getting in a boxing ring, we're putting on the gloves and, and that kind of aggression. That actually might bring unity quicker, okay? But we don't do that, okay? Instead, we put on like the, the biblical gloves and we go to our Bibles and we look for things that, that we can throw at them. We're aggressive. Um, we're seeking to judge them might be what we're doing. We're judging thoughts, intentions, motives. We're placing the blame of the current circumstance on someone else by direct or he says indirect implication. Essentially, this is the Genesis 3 tactic. Okay, she made me do it. He made me do it. It's, it's his fault. He's the one that's being selfish. And you know what? Probably. <laughs> But you probably are too. You can find fault. Anybody in here? We, what, I've got the first question on our discussion is I want you to look across the table and find fault. No, that's not the first question. But we could talk about that forever. 
right? And so when we get divided, all of a sudden, that's what we start doing. But the call is not that. The call is to, to love one another, to see good things, to see the graciousness, to see what Christ is doing, and not the opposite. And so we got to get away from that kind of posture. And then the third way would be abdication. And this happens, he says, when a leader mistakenly believes that time and a positive and a positive environment alone will resolve the conflict, which is simply not true at all. Uh, don't try that in your marriages; it will not work. Um, what will happen is whatever the cause of the division, the hurt, pain, the bitterness, or whatever, will begin to simmer. And eventually, it's probably going to explode. And then the pieces are much harder to pick up. And so a true leader doesn't see conflict as something to run from. He sees conflict as a challenge, in one sense, that the Lord has equipped him with the Word to be able to handle. And that challenge starts with himself, searches his heart, and then he seeks to make it right with his brother. And so these are some of the things uh, that we want to do. And so this is kind of what I got to in my outline. There's a lot more here, um, but I figured we would cover that next time. And then at the very end, I'm going to include as well um, a section from Thomas's Brooks book on precious remedies against Satan's devices, because he's got a whole chapter on this, um, and it's gold. It's, it's really, really good. And so I've got about seven questions for you uh, that will help you. Nothing about fault-finding or anything like that, so you, you can wipe that away. Um, but hopefully this will be helpful as we seek, as leaders, as men in our own families, wherever we're at, uh, to bring unity, starting with ourselves and then with others. So let me pray for us, and we'll go ahead and break up. Father, we do thank you, Lord, for the time that you've given us this morning. Now, Lord, just looking at a few of these things, Lord, I'm sure we can all see some of these wrong postures in ourselves. This is our natural tendency when this happens. But Father, we're thankful that we've been born again. And so not only do we have this natural tendency, the flesh, but you've given us what is unnatural in our flesh, and that is the Spirit. And so, Father, we have been equipped to respond differently and to please you even in hard circumstances. Father, help us at our discussions this morning. Let us encourage one another and seek to please you as we grow in this area. We pray this in your Son's great name. Amen. Yeah.